and welcome to the gray area where I give interviews with developers, talk about gaming news and reviews, and focus on the interrelationships between gamers. My name is Genesee Gray and this is the 64th episode in a weekly series called Meet the Team. Here with me is Edmund McMillan, game developer for Team Meet and designer on Super Meat Boy, The Binding of Isaac, and many other games. And Tommy, let's see, Refinus, is that right? Say it again. That was good. That was good. Okay. The programmer for Super Meat Boy and of other games as well. Welcome, you two. Awesome to have you. Hello. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having us. You are so welcome. It seems like this, this podcast was meant for Team Meat. Yes. With, the, with that title. It is. It's meet, comma, the team for you. There you go. There. Yeah. Last week's episode was a discussion with Tinsian about MMO multiplayers and EULAs. Please visit www.genesee.com to add to the forum discussion on that topic and to tell me your story. Today is Monday, May 14th, and we're going to discuss some upcoming news, talk about Super Meat Boy the Game for iOS, The Binding of Isaac Expansion, Wrath of the Lamb, and learn more about our guests. So let's start with news of the week. Okay, some news I'd like to share with you guys and see your thoughts. Uh, a game kind of caught my eye this week called Detura. Uh, it's releasing May 8th, so already. It's an abstract release, kind of like Journey, if you've ever played a Journey or Flower from that gaming company. And Ars Technica has called it less puzzle exploration and more of a moral Rorschach test you don't always realize you're taking. In other words, you have to make some moral choices in the game, uh, examples of one of them is, do you use your ice pick to chop through the frozen lake and retrieve a golden chalice, or do you save the person pressing their hand against the ice? That sort of thing. So it sounded really interesting to me uh, to kind of kind of make those choices. Have you ever played a game similar to that, or maybe Journey, either of you? Uh, I've played Journey, but I didn't realize there were any of those kind of choices in it. Yeah, I don't think Journey oh. was more moral, but it's sort of a, I don't know, an abstract release is what they're calling it similar in that yeah, way. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's, yeah. Um, I don't know. Usually with choices like that, when it's it's like a yes or no, like good or bad kind of um, decision thing in a game, it, it's usually a little, like I, like they had very, really basic, uh, you know, like save the little kids and save the girls in Bioshock or kill them or whatever. Right, little sisters. Everybody was like, oh, it's crazy, you know, but really, you know, it wasn't really that crazy. Um, and didn't really affect much. <laughs> it's, it's, it, I don't know, it depends on what they do with it. I, I really don't know anything about the game, but it really depends on if it's like, if you are a good guy or a bad guy, and if and how much gray area there is, and what actually changes because of your actions. But um, usually in games that have these, it just seems to be like a yes or no type formula, and if you get a lot of yeses, you're good. If you get a bunch of no's, you're bad, and you get an ending depending on your yes or no's. Um, but... I'm all for anything different. Give me something other than running around and shooting people like that look like soldiers or soldiers in space. <laughs> or soldiers soldiers from the past. Yeah. Or past Yeah, past past soldiers. That's right. Now the soldiers have swords. All right. Yeah. 
2 million players took part in the Diablo 3 stress test that was last month, peaking out at 300,000 users, and the game releases tomorrow, May 15th. I'm so excited. I'm sure that's... Well, technically stress. tonight, right? Technically. Yeah, like midnight, isn't it? Yeah. Are you doing that, Tommy? Are you doing that? I'll probably download it. I don't know if I'll play it. I'm, I, <laughs> I, believe I'm, it. I believe I'm going to be out there. I don't know. I haven't... I'm not 100% positive. I, I think so, though. I think we're going at 12 to the GameStop. We nice. did. We did. Oh, you're like, you're not downloading it? No, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna buy it. Well, because it's gonna take too long. You have like 50 meg per second internet. It'll take like an hour. Yeah, it'll take a lot less time for me to just install it off of a DVD. I guess. You're yeah. That. Nice, nice <laughs> R2D2 back there, by the way. Thank you. I finished it. Look at that. It looks pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't don't look at these though. These are my these are my. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is that? This is uh oh yeah. This is my collection. Uh, all the people who are watching can can envy me here. Look at this, a full collection. These are all the Moxes and a Black Lotus. Yeah. Look at that. Totally legit. Totally real. It's not fake. <laughs> I didn't just print this out for my. Cube. That's a that's an uncut sheet. Yeah. Look at that. We'll sell it. We'll sell it <laughs> for like thirty grand. Look at that. That's a Mox. What is that? That's a Mox Jet. Yeah, that's Mox, Mox Jet. Jet. That's a six hundred dollar card right there, and it looks totally real because it is. And he bought it in a storage shed. I just bought it off of auctioned. It was weird because they were just stuck in my printer when I bought it, <laughs> and I pulled them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they were out. They were in the scanner. There was a man with a trench coat. He said, "This is for you." I said, yeah, well, he was very small. He was in there. I saw him. <laughs> he winked. Nice. <laughs> he winked at me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move to you guys. What is your news of the week? Personal or gaming, however you want to go. Tommy gave me some news, and I think that's news of the week. Tommy, earlier, the, the Minecraft sales. Oh, yeah, Minecraft sold a million copies in five days. It's now officially okay to be totally jealous of Notch. <laughs> <laughs> it's past the point of where it's like, oh, cool, where it's like, just, god fucking damn it, it's ridiculous. <laughs> By the way, Tommy, I see you hiding. You're supposed to be on cam. Yeah, What's up with so that? the camera dies a lot because I broke it. Like, uh, well, number one, so there's the one that's built into the Mac, the little iMac on the top, and I shined a laser pointer in that one until it was broken. And then uh, now that iMac is under the desk because I wanted to get it off the desk, so it's just pointing at nothing. And then the nice. other camera, I think I dropped a bunch of times, so it just it goes on and goes off every once in a while. So okay. Apologies. I, I tried to get it back on, but it, it, it wasn't having that. I'll, I'll try again right now. I'm sorry, that it, would freak me out. Like the turrets in Portal. I see you. Bam! Your camera's on. I, yeah. I couldn't deal with it. That's how That's, that's how I catch my prey. Yeah, it's not even showing up anymore. <laughs> you, look, uh, it's okay. you look like a loading screen. Yeah, it's showing it, something. Yeah, it's, it's, showing, it's showing the inside of the cabinet that the iMac is in. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> It's a, uh, an artistic statement, I see. Yeah. You're looking good. I could put my hand in front of it, kind of. Look, uh, see? see? You can see. <laughs> I just uh, see black, colors. dude. It's like kind of kind of blue, a little dome. Oh, oh, that's, that's a drawer slide cool. right there. Drawer <laughs> 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 okay. Yeah. Any other news of the week you want to share, Tommy? No. No. All right, Edmund, your turn. Oh man, news that pertains to video games. It can be anything that you'd like to share. 
what has been interesting? Is it? Do you have any news? Is there anything interesting that's happened this week? Danielle learned how to play Magic. There's some news for you oh, for everybody. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. It's been a while since I've played. Are these real Magic cards, or you pirate them too? <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying? This is real. This is totally okay. That's how they do Magic cards. That's how they make them. Look, they print them out on a sheet, and then they cut them. It's, it's called an uncut sheet. It's an uncut sheet. I got it off eBay. Yeah, look how no, uh, she's playing with real cards. This is just yeah. for my cube. <laughs> I'm not going to spend thousands of dollars on these cards. I just want to play with them. I'm not playing in tournaments, people. Don't That's report true. me to Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> and I don't really have any news. This has been a... Um, the Binding of Isaac Retail came out. Retail editions, we got... Yeah, but you didn't put them up yet. Yeah, but I will. Yeah. There's no news. There's no news. Okay. Let's uh, move to more stuff. Okay. Questions for you. Uh, Edmund and Tommy as well. Is, this involves you. Um, and Edmund has his own Wikipedia section, which Tommy's also on. That's pretty impressive, having your own Wikipedia article. And you guys are known for a careful level design and exacting standards of play, and it makes things very challenging in game. Uh, is that what it says? Yes. It, it says something similar to that, yeah. It, but it's difficult to discover your actual gaming history as a child because I read things that are just clearly not true. <laughs> Curled what? up in a corner playing with a stink bug. I don't know. <laughs> Strange <laughs> things about that. So, uh, real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what drew you to become a designer and a programmer and what were your games or your, as background as a child? Let's go first with you, Edmund. Um, I had an Atari when I, I got an Atari when I was like, seven, I think, and I played a shit ton of video games. Um, I spent most of my time alone, so, you know, it was either drawing video games or just exploring out and wherever. Um, and when I turned nine, I was like the last kid on my block to get a NES, um, but once I did, that was the end of it, and it became like a thing of legend, uh, quite literally. Like Legend of Zelda became like my life and kind of obsessed with random secrets and games and stuff like that and um, it always just became a, it was a major part of my life but I didn't I don't think in your kid you consider it as much of a part of your life it's just of course kids play video games hmm. um, but I was one of those kids that would like <laughs> I don't know if I ever told you this Tommy but in in sixth grade um, we had to do reports and um, I did a report on Mortal Kombat and, <laughs> and <laughs> really and, what was yeah. the subject you were supposed to be covering I don't know, but I'm sure it wasn't video games. <laughs> but I did a report on Mortal Kombat, and like, um, I I wish I still had it. I actually still have some of the. I had like a little cover for it. So, and I I wasn't really uh, keen on writing or anything else like that. So I would fill my reports with like drawings and stuff. And I had collages of like all the fatalities from all these different magazines, like just collages of fatalities. And that was my report. I like two pages of of information and then like three pages of, of collages of like Goro and everybody else and and uh, yeah that was quite awesome and I was that kind of kid. But, yeah, what did was, you get was, on that project? What was your grade? I don't I didn't get good grades surprisingly. <laughs> I still have this I still have this one report. It's pretty funny. Um, I was also obsessed with Ren and Stimpy so it was a family report and it was just like you know write about your family history and whatever else and uh, Danielle's even seen this this is completely for real about five pages of information and about ten pages of me pausing <laughs> Ren and Stimpy on, on the VCR and drawing what I'm seeing. No reason! 
It had nothing to do with the report, but it was like ten pages every between each of these pages. There's like two pages or on the backs too of just Ren and Stimpy drawings. <laughs> yeah, no, and there were com- there was there was a comment at the end. It was like good art. It's like yeah, yeah. There's my family report, Ren and Stimpy. There you go. <laughs> I uh, had a lot of fun doing it though. But yeah, I I did my own shit and liked my own stuff and um, but I never really thought I'd make video games. And not at all. Okay, Tommy, how about you? Um, yeah, I just got a Nintendo when I was, I think it was in 88. And I just played every video game and me and my friends would always have lists of games that we beat and then compare which games that we did. Like, me and my friend John, we, we would, we would put together these lists and be like, oh, I've beaten Mega Man 2 and Mega Man 3 and Zelda 2. And he's like, well, I've beaten Zelda 1. And we just kind of go back and forth like that. So it was always a big part of my life. Then I'd get on the phone with same friend, John, and we would, uh, we, we, we were really obsessed with the, the rift between Genesis and Super Nintendo. And we thought that in a perfect world, they would be one. And we, we, we tried to design, like, what if what if Sonic and Mario had a game together? Uh, ours was a lot better than Sonic versus Mario Olympics or whatever that crap that they put out was. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it was always like huge part of my life, and and uh, my dad taught me to program kind of at a young age when I was about eleven, and from there I just kept programming, kept making stuff. Uh, we didn't. <laughs> we lived where. We lived in the mountains, so we didn't have internet. I was, like, the last of my friends to have internet, but I knew about it because I'd go over to their house and go on chat rooms and stuff. So uh, I programmed the chat room that was just, it was just me. But what it would do is you would type in stuff, and then it would read the response, and then it would, it would type, it would, like, give you messages back. And it was, like, it's, like, a forever alone chat. In a way, <laughs> but but it was cool because all I was doing is like, in a way, it was like it, it was a it was a type of AI project that I was writing where mm-hmm. where it would actually analyze in what I typed and then it would it would send me back a message that was somewhat somewhat relevant to it. I didn't I spent like a day on it or whatever, but it was still you know it was all kinds of little stuff like that is is what I did as I was growing up and then. Yeah, and then I, I just always wanted to do it, and I had all kinds of stupid corporate jobs, and I hated them, and eventually I got to do video games, and I'm, I'm happy now, so that's good. That is good. I'm going to ask you, Edmund, I know you have a comics background. Um, how did you end up transitioning from comics into game design? What was the process there for you? Um, yeah, I did, I did um, like, well, in the 90s, they called them, the cool kids called them zines. Oh, okay. um, which are like little little printed magazines, like independently produced. And uh, I made I made zines for quite a few years, at least like like maybe like sixteen to twenty. And then um, when I turned twenty, I wasn't really getting anywhere with my comics, and I couldn't get them published. And I was just making enough money. I, I was getting kind of frustrated because I could only really distribute them around Santa Cruz, and I didn't have much of a reach. And I knew people were buying them, but I didn't. I would maybe only get, I think, in the five-year period, I probably got maybe five actual uh, written, like, handwritten mail, stuff in the mail, like, letters and stuff, saying, like, I like your stuff. 
or well, I want more, where can I get more? Mm-hmm. So I was frustrated with like the lack of response. Like I don't know, I couldn't, I couldn't get better because I couldn't see what people liked and what people didn't and how they responded and whatever else. And um, so I decided to learn, you know, flash. Um, I took like a, a class at like a local college and failed that. And, but I learned enough to make my own site. And that's actually where me and Tommy kind of met around that time. Cause I started doing flash game comics type stuff. Like I learned how to animate really basic animation. And, um, I started putting my comics like in flip book form, like interactive, you know, you click the little arrow and it goes to the next page sort of thing. And I had a website and Tommy had a website too called Tommyism. Um, and we were both linked on the Newgrounds network, which was a, a big portal of mostly animations, but some games. Um, and it was done by Tom Fulp, who later went on to make Alien Hominid and Castle Crashers. Um, and so we were all associated through this portal. And I knew of Tommy, but I didn't actually meet him for another eight years. Um, but um, and that's kind of where I got. I kind of just started inching into it. Like I, ne- I, I never. I tried to program a few times, but I really hated it. It just wasn't fulfilling to me. I couldn't. I couldn't get happy by doing it. You know, I, 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 I become happy when I draw, um, but not when I would sit down and program. And I did really basic stuff, but I just couldn't. I couldn't get into it enough to get good at it. Um, so I started working with other like flash programmers and stuff. And I started doing really crude little games and I actually started working with Tom on one of my first games. So I did a bunch of little, little basic flash gamey type stuff. And then, um, I went and got a real job and then I got fired from that real job. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I was an animal, I was an animal control officer for like a year, but, um, yeah, it was pretty fun except the women were horrible bitches. Um, but yeah, that's why I got fired. Probably from saying that. <laughs> the, the other women control officers, or the people that you were taking the dogs from? No. Oh yeah, I should have said that. Yeah. <laughs> no. The uh, the my, my uh, just checking. <laughs> just women in general. Yeah. <laughs> Specifically. Fired. Uh, women bitches, and I had to quit. No. Um, no. Uh, the women that I that were actually. Um, above me, like my lieutenant and my training officer were, um, they, it was a, it was a fucked up situation and they were really worried about losing their job. Um, because we were like transitioning from uh, an SPCA owned animal control to like a county owned animal control. And the county has all these rigorous like things you have to pass, like, um, a lot of like just basic education tests and, and drug tests and all this other stuff that I could, didn't have an issue with, but they were really worried about and the stress level got really, really high and they just kind of started attacking everybody and everybody started getting fired. They started like ganging up against people and firing people. And it was oh. down to three of us and they like ganged up on me. But before they could fire me, I quit. But then they begged me to come back and I came back and they fired me. What? <laughs> so that was, that was that story, but it was, it was a good job. I, I, I liked, I liked that job a lot. Um, it was a pretty fulfilling job and it was always a new adventure, but, um, after I had gotten fired, I needed to do something and we were still living like out of a room and, um, me and Danielle and, uh, I decided that I probably should try to make a living off of my art. And, uh, one of the things that I did in order to make a living off of, you know, what I actually did well was, um, um, I, I volunteered some time at a local studio called chronic logic, which was an independent, um, a video game company, which made a game called uh, bridge builder. 
And um, I had actually heard of it through my website that I had because people on the forums had been playing it. And um, that kind of like opened my eyes to this whole independent scene. Like I realized I didn't really fully understand that there were independent games. Like I saw the flash game stuff that was happening that like, like Tommy and Tom were, were doing and stuff and I was doing, but I didn't actually consider it. We weren't making money. Like back then you didn't make money off of this. Like mm -hmm. you could make some money off of ads, but by 2000, 2001 there, you couldn't anymore. Um, it was just all for fun. And I did for a few years, but like, I didn't ever consider myself like it wasn't just, you, you didn't call yourself an independent developer, right? Tommy, like we didn't call, you just yeah. made flash games. Yeah, I just I just made video games. I never made them for like money or anything like that. I never it was it was all to like promote the popularity of my site, which yeah, never called myself a game developer or anything like that. Yeah, it wasn't even it just wasn't something that you I didn't call myself a game developer until I got my first industry job. And I was super excited about that. Even though I had made games in the past. That's really strange. Yeah, it is. Well, didn't it's, you work on the um, the Unreal Engine? Is it was that your first job, Tommy? It was. Uh, yeah, my first industry job. I had to port the Unreal Two X engine, which was the Xbox specific Unreal Engine, to the Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty, and I did that for this company in Amsterdam. And uh, yeah, so like until that point, yeah, I didn't call myself game developer at all. But yeah, that company sucks, though. <laughs> not, not, Tell us how you not, really feel. Not epic, uh, streamlined studios. I'll say them. Mm. I don't care. <laughs> they're, they're they're out of business. Doesn't doesn't Why? matter. I can, I can say whatever I want about them. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, I don't think it, it wasn't a thing to. Th there was an independent scene there, and like I, the like like you would talk about it now, like the scene, the independent scene. Um, there was a gathering of. PC developers who made uh, non-Flash, because Flash was considered not game development back then. It was very like, oh, you're a script kitty? Like, that's yeah, exactly. not serious. Oh, okay. That's a joke. You know, like, you code in C and or C++ or you don't code in anything. Um, and uh, it was a small, a very small, you know, group of, like, maybe 150 people, like, at most, really, in the IGF, um, and the IGF was still around then, like in 2000, uh, I think the first one I went to was 2002 or three, and um, I'm introduced to this whole scene through Chronic Logic because they submit all their games and stuff, and there, I think Bridge Builder had won um, an audience award in the past or something, and um, I kind of, they kind of just like, it just opened my eyes to this whole like, large group of people who really take what they do seriously, and it's this whole new kind of art form, and it was pretty exciting. And um, I ended up pitching the idea for Gish to them, and that was the first real game mm. that um that I had started working on. And we worked on that for like about six to eight months and released it, and uh, we entered in the IGF, and that was a very very memorable experience to be able to demo my first game to a large group of industry people. Um, but things were so different then, completely different than before, than now. Like, now you can actually make money off your games. Like, when Gish came out, it was considered a huge success, but it really barely sold anything. Like, our biggest sales day um, for Gish was 90, 98 copies, or maybe a little over 100 copies, and that was when we got on Penny Arcade in 2004, or 2005, 2004. Um, and, like, compared to now, like, you know, Super Meat Boy sold 140,000 copies in one day once. Mm -hmm. 
Do you think so the, the indie developers kind of become like the, the cool, you know how Geek has become really cool? I think indie developers is sort of on the rise as far as people look at the indie scene and they're like, that's where the future of development is with Kickstarter and all the rest of that. Do you think that's true or do you think that that's maybe mislabeled? I think it's odd and I don't know how to talk about it because I feel like both Tommy and I, especially with the movie, have added to the illusion of what independent game development is and I don't know how to feel about it and I, I, I like have like every every other day it's like a different type of perception like I don't I love that we did the movie I think the movie's great um, I love what I do and I know Tommy loves what he does but I could really do without this scene <laughs> hmm. yeah. it makes any yeah, sense I, exactly I, I could I could give a flying fuck about it. Like, I want to make games, period. Um, I think, I, though, I some people look at... I've talked to a lot of indie developers before, one of my favorites being Arkin Games, where you always have to have that person, like, the valve of, you know, indie gaming, where you have that, that, that game to look up to and say, you know, hey, we could put our stuff out there and someone will actually care enough to be involved and passionate about it. Well, no, it's totally awesome that there are so many places for that support independent games and i love that there are so many people making independent games but i'm more talking about this confliction i have with the idea of this scene and like and the idea of just the fact that if you make independent games it's, it is like what's the word like um like hip yeah, you know, like, yeah. like like me and tommy aren't fucking hip <laughs> like it's just not. You refuse to be angry. Like, no, that, that's what it is. It, 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 it's this is me being angry because I'm not cool. I'm never. I never wanted to be cool. Don't try to make me be cool because I'm not. Get the fuck away from me. Don't label me like this. I'm not fucking cool. I'm fucking nerd. I make video games. Leave me alone. I don't like you. Like <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a part of any of this. Like, but but in a lot of ways, the the movie has has kind of. Um, given us an image and in in a lot of ways we represent this scene of of people and a lot of people can relate to what we're going through and that's all great and everything but i just have this major conflict in this like i don't like i don't like that aspect of it you know i don't like i don't like i'm, I'm having major conflictions with popularity and perceived fame and um not liking the fact that people know us for what we've said in a movie, um, you know, I want to be known for what I've made in a game. Like, that's why I make games, and that's why I'm not, like, a talk show host. Or, <laughs> I don't know, whatever the fuck those people do. An actor. <laughs> right. You know, I'm just, I'm the opposite You're of that. You're not representing like, a man who does make video games. You want to actually make them. Yeah, yeah, just let me, like, leave me alone and let me just speak through the game. You know, that you can, that's it. It's okay. as much interaction as, as I want to have with the human race as <laughs> inadvertently through a video game. <laughs> I'm done. Okay. Let's move to how you met Tommy and ended up uh, basically forming Team Meat and, and going to Super Meat Boy. How did that happen? Tommy, tell me about that. Uh, so like Ed mentioned, um, we, didn't, we knew about each other in the 2000s. And then we... Uh, I, I had a game that was in the IGF the same year. What game did you have? That it was Tracknet, wasn't it? Yeah, Tracknet. I wasn't even there until the 
just the very yeah, end. Yeah, you weren't there until the awards, and I was losing my fucking mind at the at the awards. I'm a diabetic, so I had uh, a bunch of jelly beans <laughs> because my sugar was constantly dropping. Okay. That was the first time, like, we had known about each other in 2000, but when 2008 rolled around, that's when we both had something in the IGF, and when I got, when my game got nominated for uh, something in the IGF, I looked back through past winners, and I saw the Gish one in 2005, and yeah, I, I did this with every game. I looked at the diff- the last winners, and I saw who made them, and I saw that Edmund made Gish, and I'm like, oh, that's cool, so I uh, looked him up on... Um, Instant Messenger, because I had his Instant Messenger name from a long time ago, and I messaged him, and we started talking, and we decided that we would meet up at, at GDC, at the IGF that year. Um, so, yeah, we get there, we meet each other, it's all fine, and we decide, hey, let's 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 see how we work together, let's do a game together. So, we ended up making a game called Grey Matter, we made it in Flash, and um, we found that we worked really, really well together, and we have similar personalities, and very we we have like identical work ethic so it just it was a natural fit um around that time uh gish 2 was going to be an xbla game and uh cryptic c needed another programmer just to just to help with the workload because making a console game is awful and so uh, i was going to be the person that basically but like like my first industry job, I was going to be the person that ported the engine and made sure it ran on Xbox and did all that stuff, and that kind of didn't work out. There was uh, some some conflicts with the with the other programmer and stuff, and uh, Ed and I were, you know, we we knew we worked well together, so we decided to as a side project we were going to make Meat Boy, and Meat Boy was just going to be a small hundred level game on WiiWare because that was uh, that was the only console that we we knew we could put it on is because we had talked to Nintendo we we uh, split the cost of a development kit uh, that's yeah so we, so we we basically we were like well we'll just do the small game on WiiWare and just kind of see just kind of see where where it goes because we were waiting for the whole Gish 2 thing to work out um, so we we started working on it and it got to the point where Gish 2 was actually going to be cancelled and we talked with Microsoft, and uh, this was after an event in London where we showed the game. It was a Nintendo event where we showed the game, and people loved it. They flipped over it totally. And we only had 12 levels, and it was only, I think, five months in development or something. So we knew that we had something good on our hands, and since Gish 2 was going to be canceled, since we couldn't really work with the other programmer, uh, we decided to try uh, what's called in business a switcheroo. And it's it's where you uh, switch stuff. So we talked to Microsoft, and they said, "Well, Gish Two is not going to happen, but we have this game, Meat Boy, that all these people are really liking, and it it would be a good fit for XBLA." And we kind of went back and forth with them for several several months <laughs> until they finally caved and said, "Yeah, we'll we'll have it on XBLA." And it was that was basically. It. I mean, the, the, the way we met and the way we actually started working together was more, it was in no way business. Like, we are not business people in the slightest. We're horrible at it. <laughs> but we, we're good at making games, and we're good at, I mean, we're, we're friends. I mean, we talk on Skype all the time. Um, we play Magic together. We, we're just very similar people. So, yeah. And I mean, it, it works out well, because when you're making a game with a friend, 
then not only are you you have like the support structure and it was it was really nice going through development because there were days that I would break down and be like I don't want to do this anymore and Ed would help me out and there was days that Ed would be like this is stupid we we sh-, you know and this all happened at the end of development nowhere near like <laughs> it was the last two months of development when Microsoft was having us finish four months worth of work in like three weeks that was that was when all of that stuff happened but I mean it was it was just a good experience working together and I think it's because we're we're friends and we're we're friendly with each other and mm-hmm. business actually plays no part in anything that we do <laughs> which is kind of funny that's really awesome but I have to ask where do the jelly beans come in the jelly beans were because uh, that was at the IGF. So I had a game uh, up in the IGF for technical excellence. And uh, this was my first GDC. This was my first introduction to uh, the indie scene altogether. And um, so I go, you know, this, you, you walk into this giant award ceremony hall, and there's these giant screens everywhere. And there's literally like, I think there's like 2,000 people in this place for these award ceremonies. And, yeah, so I walk into that. After like after a full day of like showing my game to hundreds and hundreds of people on the GDC floor, mm-hmm. and I I hadn't eaten very well that day because I was busy because I uh, the game that I had made I made by myself I didn't have anybody else making it with me so it was up to me to make sure that I, it was being demoed properly and uh, the jelly beans are actually because I'm I'm a type one diabetic and stress like destroys me oh, it yeah. makes my blood sugar drop like crazy. Um, so the jelly beans were there because as they were announcing the, well, well, first I walk into the hall and I automatically feel like, oh, wow, I'm going to die because I feel, I feel my blood sugar just go, and so I start, start, yeah, yeah, I just start cramming jelly beans. It's, it's awesome. It's pretty overwhelming when you go in there though. It is like, like I still get, I still get nervous if I have nothing to do with it. Like just going, going in there. And being in there, it's it's very overwhelming. There's like, it's dark, and there's crazy lights just moving around everywhere. And you like look to the left, and there's like John Romero, and you look to yeah, the right, yeah. and there's there's Miyamoto, and like you're like, what yeah, the fuck there, am I doing Sagan here? Kojima right over there, and there's John Carmack, and you're like, wow, why am I sitting at a table next to Gabe Newell? It's very very. <laughs> uh, yeah, like even this last year, we weren't up for anything. Um, but it's it's still when you walk into the award ceremony, it is it's huge. It's it's I you know because I had watched like I said when I went when I was nominated, I went back through all of the previous uh, the, the the previous winners, and I watched every single one of them. I watched every single award ceremony. Well, up until two thousand eight, they were like held in I guess what was like a small hall, or it was either a different hall, or they didn't have the production budget that they did for the the latest one. Mm-hmm. All right, the one in 2008, because it went from, you look at it on the stream, and it's, like, in front of a curtain, and the lighting's kind of whatever, <laughs> and there's, like, just random people up there talking, you don't know who they are, and then when I walk into this thing, there's, like, a 40-foot fucking screen <laughs> that has this IGF logo flying around it, and then these two other screens, and then this giant VIP area, and then, like, wow. all these seats, and so, yeah, so as you walk into it, yeah, it just, it's like being punched in the stomach. And for me, it was basically all of the, uh, <laughs> all of the sugar in my body was gone. And I was, I was feeling awful. So I had to, I had to cram jelly beans. I, I didn't win either. So 
after oh. after I crammed all those jelly beans, my sugar was like three hundred and seventy, which it's supposed to be a hundred. So yeah, that was fun. Tommy's not allowed to win anything. It's part of the rules. No, I I have not won more awards than anybody ever. <laughs> You've been so nominated for, for quite a few. I've been nominated for tons and tons, but I've never won. I've never won an IGF award. The only award I won was an Intel award for uh, multi-threading that game that went into the IGF. That was it. <laughs> That's the only thing I won, and it didn't come with a trophy. All, they they had the gall just to give me fifteen thousand dollars and send me on my <laughs> <way>. <laughs> those assholes. <laughs> Oh, all right. Well, let's move to Super Meat Boy. Uh, will you explain to the listeners what the premise of Super Meat Boy is? What is the story about? Let's go to Edmund. Um, Super Meat Boy is a game. This is weird because I feel like I'm quoting the movie. I'm hearing my voice. Is yeah. is a game about a uh, a boy without skin who's trying to save his girlfriend who's made of bandages from a fetus in a jar wearing a tuxedo and a monocle and a top and a hat. Top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a it's like a Twitch platformer. It's very difficult, and it's a a big playoff of Mario. And kind of like Tommy and I, it's 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 our rewriting Mario in a way, like a reenvisioning of Mario if we made it. Um, that's that was the basic premise. Like um, in a lot of ways, it's 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 the like when both Tommy and I were young. I think we both had dream games like he was talking about like with his friend talk, brainstorming the ultimate crossover between Sonic and Mario and how great that game would be and like I always wanted to make a game that was like Mario meets Mortal Kombat or something like Mario with an edge because I was the kind of guy I was the kind of kid who like I felt like Genesis was made for me because it, they, they told me it was because it was edgy you know and I was supposed I was like I was an edgy kid right but I didn't like it and like I went and bought a Genesis and I got Sonic and I'm like, I do not like this. Like this is just not for me at all. So I went back to Nintendo, but I always wanted Nintendo to do something a bit more edgy and adult or something like that. And in a lot of ways that's what Meat Boy is. It's just like the dream game that you brainstorm with your friend on the you know, on the schoolyard at recess with and uh and with with Tommy, like when I met Tommy, like he's saying, like we're we're friends. And when I met him and started working with him, it felt a lot more like having you know slumber parties. I don't know if boys call them slumber parties, sleepovers. <laughs> <laughs> There's no party. I call them slumber parties. It was like a slumber party night, you know, like every single night on Skype. You know, mm-hmm. that's what it was. It was like fucking around, you know, these these jokes that just got out of control and like. It was just great, and uh, I could see really clearly that it, it just reminded me so much of my childhood and having, like, a best friend that we just, you know, joke on into the night about nonsense, and but, you know, that you can also be really creative with this person and do something awesome. And like Tommy said, like, we're really, we're not business people, and we didn't do this because it's, you know, it's our business. It's 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 kind of like our dream. Like, it's just our... It's we were we were meant to do this. We were always being pushed in this direction, and then we met and made something awesome, and we'll continue to make awesome things um, for us and not really for anybody else. And um, that's I think that's basically. It's very old school in a lot of ways. Like it reminds me of playing like Metroid or you know Sonic like that with the spinning and the jumping, you know the bouncing off of things. And it's very, very challenging. Uh, is there a reason that 
you have such a, I guess the levels are so difficult and, and I mean, a lot of games now are sort of designed to make you feel good or be easy, you know, to a point where you feel rewarded, but this is definitely making you work. Well, in a, in a lot of ways, it's it just goes back to the whole anti-business aspect. Like the reason why games are easy and you don't really even you know, like if anybody beats a game now and it sticks in their mind, it usually sticks in their mind for some written story, like the ending of some game, the cutscenes, the cinematics. You know, rarely will there be a few points where it's like, oh, that was a pretty cool part of the game. Um, Games from the past really stick into your head because you feel really good when you've achieved something hard, um, because games were really hard. And um, it was basically approaching design from the perspective of, like, I... People will always argue that, you know, the reason why you like retro games is because of the nostalgia factor of you being a kid and everything was cooler when you were a kid, and I don't believe that's true. I believe that games back then had something that games now don't, and I believe that something is a challenge. You know, granted, like, Games back then, I think, were too punishing. And that was the, the thing that Tommy and I talked about a lot when, when doing Nepo. It's like, how can we reduce the frustration and the punishment um, to almost nothing? Because we want the game to be difficult. We want it to be a challenge. We want you to feel good when you achieve something. But we don't want you to throw down the controller and, like, turn <laughs> off the game. Like, I remember, what was it? I, don't, I think it was, I think it was uh, the fucking part in um, Battletoads, the, the race <laughs> part. Yeah, like I on my that. on my Genesis, that, that was that was one of the one of the only. So I'm really anal about turning the system off, then unplugging the cartridge, and like you know you see like kids on on TV and stuff like uh, fake it and like rip the cartridge out, and you're like ah, like what are you doing? <laughs> everything. That was the one game where I have a clear memory of like dying like repeatedly on that, and actually grabbing the cartridge and yanking it out of the Genesis and throwing it, mm. and like like I. You know, I don't, I, I wanted to avoid those uh, moments of frustration. Like, a lot of people will say, you know, I raged like crazy on Super Meat Boy, and I threw my controller and whatever else, and, you know, maybe that's true on some of the really fucking hard stuff. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the goal was to try to avoid it and, and to try to keep the focus on the, the feeling of achieving something that's difficult that not everybody in the world has done. Like, everybody fucking beats Halo. It's like a, handed to you. You might as well just... Watch Might as well just watch a movie, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or just watch it on YouTube. That's actually how uh, you and I played Heavy Rain. We just yeah, watched, that's true. I just watched the nude scene on uh, <laughs> on YouTube, and then the end where it messed up, and the guy was just kept saying uh, the kid's name over that and over at the end. Hilarious. That was yeah. hilarious. That is probably like that is probably the greatest the greatest achievement of that game. Like <laughs> that that was beyond hilarity like that was really really entertaining um what what does he yell what's the kid's name i don't I, even know what was it i thought it was like steven but i could be wrong jason uh, chat room says J jason. jason yeah jason, <laughs> jason! <laughs> the guy's like pointing the gun at him jason <laughs> that's great that's just fucking like genius i love that they programmed it like that that oh that's just great <laughs> yeah that that almost made me want to play the game, but I, then I just watched the YouTube video again and I was over. <laughs> like, I wish they would have just made you have the ability to just do stupid actions, like any action in the game, since it's all programmed and rigged. Mm -hmm. Why not just like let allow the people to mod it so they can repeat the action repeatedly? It would just be yeah. hilarious. Yeah, you just keep <laughs> right. reaching reaching for a cup when nothing's yeah. there. <laughs> you know, that would be awesome. <laughs> that is a game I want to. 
<laughs> I have to say with Super Meat Boy, I feel kind of guilty when you kill like the bosses because then they all give you those Puss in Boots puppy eyes. Like it just seems like they all come back with the cuteness before you end up, you know, stomping yeah. them down or whatever. She she feel a little bad for murdering things. Yeah, yeah I guess. Okay. Well, what's <laughs> you should have seen Osama bin Laden's face before he was shot in the head. <laughs> he yeah, hides it well. His eyes were fucking huge, and they were welling up. He's and like, he just down on his knees, and he says, "Please, why? What, what did I do?" <laughs> That's why you don't show that you. But it's it's what you're touching on here. Like I show the face of the person you, that you are killing in the game. Like so, you feel bad. You see the yeah. person's face, and you feel bad. Like. Yeah, but that's you, you pan I, away before you see the actual squishing. Yeah. You pan away. Yeah, but like, what I'm saying is, like, the, if they wouldn't have showed any pictures of Saddam Hussein, I don't think I would have felt so bad. But, like, people naturally don't want to murder, yeah. um, and I think that's the catch here. <laughs> you don't, not everybody wants to be a murderer, and we all no. murdered him. Like, we yeah. all murdered this person. We we're all part of this. And we saw his face and yeah. felt a little bad. If we would have seen Osama bin Laden's face, if that would have been a recorded thing, and you know you saw him pleading for his life, he, if you had any humanity in you, you probably would have felt pretty bad about it, even though he orchestrated something that murdered a bunch of people. Yeah, but it's, it's just, yeah, it's uh, right. it's an interesting it's an interesting it's thing, thing to think about. What are you showing? It's, it's the All thing right. that makes us not sociopaths, really. Yeah, yeah. One day, I, I believe, one day, me and Tommy will make a game about this. There you yeah. go. Well, let's move to the iOS version of Super Meat Boy. What can we expect uh, in that that might be different than you would see in the regular, the regular game? Everything. Everything. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be a completely different game. Like, it's it's um, like Tommy and I always said we'd never make a sequel, and really, it's not a sequel. Like, this is this is the. Uh, I hate. I don't want to compare it because it's a pales in comparison. But like, this is the the link to the no, like the Adventures of Link, um, to the Legend of Zelda. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, it's gonna be a completely different game, yeah, with similar, different. yeah, similar. It's gonna have the characters that you're familiar with, but it's gonna play differently. It's gonna feel different. It's gonna have a lot of different aspects to it. But you know, at its core, you're you're still a little elf with a sword. I see. Yeah. I was reading your article in Game of Sutra, and that's why I felt like I really needed to have you guys on to do this interview, because you were saying that you wanted to show respect to, to mobile players, um, and explain what that means, because I think there, and what you said in there, that there is a very um, power-up carrot dangling, yeah. you know, thing that happens with a lot of these games, um, and we won't name the big, the big, <laughs> the big bad... Yeah, the one who does they're all the there. It, the, the sad thing is, is it's not even the big ones. Like, once you, it, it, it's like mob rule. Like, once you've done something and it's okay. Like, once once somebody stole literally stole an idea on iPhone and put their game out and got away with it, it's okay to do. Mm. And in the same way, like once you start using really abusive, manipulative tactics business wise in your games, um, and it's a success. Like, then it's okay to do. And then people who are, you know, not bad people and not trying, not, they're, they're not even conscious. I believe that there's people who aren't even conscious of what they're doing um, and why it's bad because they don't think about it. They just say, this is a business model. I'm using somebody's business model that was proven to work. And um, where, what's the harm in that? And, 
and that's that's kind of the shitty situation that you're in when it comes to um, this environment. But um, to start out, I guess it's um, I think when Tommy and I both approach design, approach it from a perspective of um, honesty and respect. Um, and it sounds weird when you're making games to use that as the basis, but it, with art, it's incredibly important to be very honest. I, I believe that like the core of art is honesty, and if, if art isn't honest, it's not art. Um, and which is why some people could argue that something like um, a video game based off of some movie or whatever that was made by a bunch of people who don't really feel anything for the game at all mm-hmm. isn't that artistic and it's not going to be they don't do that, that well either meaningful yeah. you know what i mean like it's not going to it's not going to have that heart um that it would if it was like a personal project made by um you know one or two people that really feel invested in what they're doing um and when it comes to business and <laughs> here here's here's art and honesty here's business and lies like business is based on lies and manipulation like that's what business is business is 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 the is the evil it's you know the art, cancer it's, it's the art <laughs> of finding a, a weakness in someone and yeah. exploiting it for money in, yeah, in, in so many well not in like Me every too. business but in so many ways it is especially like on on the i like on the on the app store and stuff there's so many examples of just like okay well here we'll make a game it's not going to be that good it's going to be good enough to the point where you'll play it through once or twice and you'll get bored with it but then you can buy these power ups so you can in a way see what these power ups do without actually playing the game so it plays to a person's need for discovery and it also plays to a person's need for boredom. So they don't need to spend like a whole bunch of time on a game to, to actually make it so like microtransactions and stuff actually work well in, in it. I mean, if you're running through and you, you've only gotten to the point where you get this one certain gun or something mm-hmm. and you see that, oh, well, God, I don't really want to play this game anymore because it's really not doing much for me, but I could spend $2 and buy this gun. I could buy the better gun and maybe that'll make the game more fun. And it doesn't. It doesn't because it's just another stepping stone up to the $5 gun or the $12 pack of all of the guns. You know, it's, it's, it's just, it's just playing on, on boredom. It's, 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 it's playing on the fact that we all, we all have this animal brain that can be exploited by, you know, you, we, we are bound to eat more, you know, like, you look at any big business of anything, like, it's sickening. Like, it's sickening that it, in order to be a good businessman in food, you need to make your food as addicting as possible in order to make a good amount of money and become a success. And that's horrible. And and that's why business is horrible. And that's why we try to remove as much of that business aspect from what we're doing. Like, of course, we got to make a fucking living on what we're doing. But right. we don't we, we want to do that in the most honest way possible. Yeah, you and, can be ethically, you know, ethically a business person. Yeah, it's just like, if you, it, just like what Tommy's saying, if you are playing a game and it's a, and, and your goal, is your clear goal is something like get X amount of points and you get this gun, you know, and you have to play a shitload in order to get that gun, but they allow you to pay money to get that gun, it is not a game. 
It is no it's longer a, a game. It, yeah. it, it completely ceases to be a game, and it is only a business model. That is a business model to take your money. That's all they care about. They don't give a fuck if the game's fun. They don't give a fuck if... They don't care about the game. They yeah. cease to care about the game. They've, they've admitted that money is more important than a good game, and they just want your money, and they're using very, very basic, very easy, easy manipulative tactics in order to manipulate the user into just buying something that they don't even know they want. They just feel like they need it because it's there, and it's a goal and that they are supposed to achieve. And okay. it's, it's just, it's, you know, it's really, it's horrible. I mean, it all started on Facebook. Um, with Farmville and everything else like that. And it just became this just sickening casual business model. And it sucks because, like, it, it's, it's, oh man, it's just, I was talking to somebody recently and they were like, the casual game market is 60% women. And this isn't a slight to women at all, but women are mostly new to games. And I hate to think that women are being manipulated by these fucking, by this horrible business model into thinking that this is what games are. You know, like, this isn't what games are. Like, it, it, it's just sickening. Like, I, I would I would just hate to think that uh, a market driven by 60% women that are finally getting into video games are being just raped by this horrible... They're, they're, they're just... It's just destroying video games. Like, it's destroying video games. Like, this is their Mario? Like, this is their Mario. Like, this is what they get to start with? Like... Well, it's Tommy, just horrible. Let's play devil's advocate here with Tommy for a second. What do you think of like Blizzard saying, I'm going to sell you a vanity pit or a vanity mount that I'm going to take that money and dedicate it to charity. And if you want to buy the celestial steed, you know, you can do that. Do you think that that affects, so, you know, the focus on the game? Wait, no, the key, the key thing here is, does yeah. the pet give you an advantage? No, it's just pretty. Okay, then it's fine. Yeah, then it's, it's totally fine. Well, unless e -peen is your goal. <laughs> if I don't give a fuck about people buying hats. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> I don't... That's, that's nothing. That's, it's, it's nothing. It's, it's totally nothing. And plus, those games, like Team Fortress 2, is a very fulfilling game. It is a very fulfilling game without those little purchases. So, more power to them if they could put digital hats out there and make millions of dollars. It's fine. It's just people... That's basically the equivalent of someone buying merchandise at a store. Which okay. is, I see which is not there. bad. Yeah, they're so, they're decorating their avatar. You know, that yeah, makes sense in an environment like this because you want your avatar to look unique. You want it to embody you. So if you have all these different customizations, of course, that makes complete sense and seems totally okay. If 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 it were a situ it's if it was a situation like World of Warcraft where you could just pay to have a level ninety character or whatever, which um you kinda can and they've actually tried to fight against it, which shows that they know what they're doing in, in that respect, even though World of Warcraft is also questionable. Um, but like, that's wrong. Like, that's, it's, it's, it's just wrong on a whole just new level. Like, you can argue up and down that like, level grinding and, you know, these, the level grinding carrots in most MMOs is, is, is really not that good either. Um, um, you could also argue against it and say that it's more of a social experience, which I think is more okay, but, you know, the level grinding aspect, I don't think is that good. I think mm -hmm. it could be, you know, greatly improved and whatever else. But this is just, just all, it's just way above it. When it's messing with, when it's, you know, it's one thing to just throw your life away into a video game. It's another thing to throw your life away into a video game and also all your money. Money, yeah. Well, what yeah. about Diablo 3 with your, with your auction house that's involving real money? What do you think about that? 
I don't know anything about it. What is it? I actually it? don't know anything about that either. Yeah, my base, my basic understanding is that Diablo 3 is an auction house where they take a large cut, Blizzard takes a large cut of items that you post that you win in-game, <laughs> and you can buy them for actual cash. So Yeesh. I would think that would be more of a pay-to-play where it's going to affect... Yeah, that's that seems quite shitty. And again, yeah, it's probably like just... That. That's yeah. pretty bad. Um, that, that That's just... It seems to be them bending to what is considered an acceptable business model, okay. which it just actually, sucks. It sounds like them bending to Activision is what it sounds like. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, for, for... Don't... Okay, when we are doing... When we're working on Super Meat Boy and we're working with Microsoft... Um, don't think that they never said, hey, do you want to do microtransactions? Yeah. Every company you ever, every publisher, well, not Steam, but every publisher that you'll work with, like, will will ask you at some point in time, what do you think about microtransactions? Mm. And then you give your opinion, you know, like, so I'm, I'm quite positive, like you said, like, Activision is involved with Diablo, they're the publisher. Well, it's Activision Blizzard now. They're merged together. They so merged. They're one. They're one yeah, I, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't doubt that whatever business department got together and said, "You guys would be fucking retarded <laughs> not to juice people for this and yeah. not realize that like that's not fair." Like, well, what they, I, I guess, I guess if you're looking at it the same way, they're actually trying to corner what's going to happen anyway, because what's going to happen is the same thing that happened with Diablo two, from what I remember, where you could gold farming. Yeah, where you yeah, could power up your thought. guy and you could you could sell weapons on like eBay and then you would just meet the person in game and then exchange weapons. Ah, okay. So in a way, I maybe that's them trying to corner that and honestly, if it's if <coughs> if you have a place in game to do it and people are going to do it anyway because even without w- without the auction house, they'll just do it on eBay. So there might as well be some sort of auction house inside the game that allows them to do it. I mean, yeah, but if it's inside the game, it's more accessible, and then it also changes. Yeah, it makes like, it, it's bad and it's good. It's like totally unpreventable, but it's also like, like I, I I just hate like I think it's more okay like a hor- of course a fucking hardcore like why not like why not can a hardcore wealthy Diablo fanatic who wants this certain item or certain character go spend twenty dollars of his money on eBay to go do it? It seems fine, but when you put it. And as an accessible part of the main game, and you would you like it acknowledge it. it. Yeah. yeah, it does encourages it. it. It does encourage it, and it it encourages it for people who might be kind of new to the experience. And it I wonder, seems bad. I wonder if they looked at it like this, where they I, I doubt it because big companies dealing in billions of dollars don't usually look at stuff like this. Where they looked at it as, okay, this is horrible. This <laughs> this this ruins the game for people because. You know, you can just pay to get whatever you want. And they're sitting there going, okay, what is the cost of preventing that? And they probably looked at it as, there's no way to prevent that. Because if you prevent it, then you're preventing people from trading items, which is kind of a nice part of the game. So in that way, you would sort of ruin the game. So in that respect, they're like, well, then we might as well embrace what's going to happen anyway. Isn't that like saying, okay, well, there's going to be extortion, so I'm going to be a mob boss? I mean, and just to clarify, apparently, chat room is informing me, uh, Diablo 3, you can use your actual in-game gold, or you can use real cash. It's an option. You don't have to, but it's there, and I think it still has the same result. Mm. All right. I don't like it. I'll I'll go on record saying I don't like that aspect, but it's not going to stop me from playing Diablo, but it does suck. (laughs) Okay. That's happening. See, that's the thing. 
it's not going to stop you from playing Diablo. You're actually going to play the game. I'm actually going to play the game. I'm going to get my items through doing shit. I'm not going to get my items through buying stuff. So, I mean, being, and, and in that way, it's, it's still a very fulfilling game. It's something I've been, like, thinking about a lot lately, because I just recently bought an iPad for uh, Super Meat Boy the game, mm-hmm. and that device is purely a consumer device. Like, I was looking through, just trying to see if there was any sort of real productivity software other than just emailing people. Mm, no. <laughs> There's nothing. It's totally a surface level, it's it's a surface level, like, device that you just put money into, and you you get limited fulfillment out of. Like, it's, it's cool for me, because I watch Netflix while I'm going to sleep, but it's not like... I it's for really social like, interaction. Yeah, really. it's 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 a it's a $400 Facebook and Twitter machine. <laughs> yeah. And you can download these little apps and stuff on it, but the fulfillment that I actually get out of it isn't isn't that great. Um but there is something to it. There is something very convenient to having this mm-hmm. this very easily, you know, accessible device in front of you that you can get basically anything on. So I think in that way and I hope I, and and Going back to why we, like, not doing a sequel and why we sort of decided to do this Super Meat Boy, the game kind of thing, uh, I think in a way, I, at least for me recently, you know, just with what I've been thinking, it's a challenge in a way to bring something very fulfilling, like bring a full realized game to the platform that is built for the platform. I know there's other games. There's other games like Infinity Blade and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. those kinds of games are very, very limited as to... Like, not not those kinds, but I mean, games in general on the App Store are very limited to, like, engaging a user and being something other than a time waster. Because when you go upstairs and you play, like, any game, like, uh, you go upstairs and you play Skyrim or something on your on your TV, it's, it's a more fulfilling experience than sitting on the toilet and playing Minesweeper, <laughs> which I do, and I enjoy Minesweeper, but I'm not really getting anything. It's just something to do so I can ignore the smell of my own feces. I mean, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's just kind of what it is. But it would be... It's, it's weird because I've just been thinking about it a lot, and these kinds of devices are the future, but it also makes me a little scared about the future because this device turns people that are using it 100% into consumers because there is no outlet on it to actually really create anything other than photos that you can share with people. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, ho- I hope in the future stuff changes there because I'd, I'd like these things to be like the computers on minority report, you know, where yeah. you're like doing everything you can and there's these crazy innovative touch, uh, touch interfaces and stuff that actually are better than what we're currently used to. I, I want it to be a step up and for, what it is right now, it does seem kind of like a step. It doesn't seem like a step. It seems like a wall. And it seems like a wall where we're just, we just have these devices and we just look at them. We buy these little apps. People buy these games where they, they run through a stage once, they're bored of it, and then they buy a $5 gun so they can run through the stage <laughs> again and then be bored of it again. I, you know, I, I want something more from these because it's the future, but I think it, it's kind of up to, current developers to make it into the future that it, it we want it to be and it's, instead of like trying to fight it in a way speaking like, of embrace that it instead of fight do you have a general release for your iOS game like a general idea when that might come out before monaco before monaco <laughs> yeah 
before Monaco. Yeah. <laughs> our goal, our goal is to come out before Monaco. Yeah, I think yeah. we'll hit it. I yeah, we'll I think it. I think we'll do it. All right, let's talk about the Binding of Isaac now, if you could. And I read your description of that, some of the controversy or lack thereof, I guess you could say about that. And when I think of the, you know, the phrase, the binding of Isaac, I basically think of Abraham almost sacrificing his son on an altar. But in this, we have Isaac crying deadly tears and facing down mother. So can you share the story on this and I guess how it evolved from that original tale? Yeah, well, the story is based on the story of the binding of Isaac. If it was, if it happened now... Um, and, uh, you know, the mother, the father is a mother, a single parent mother. So she hears the voice of God and the voice of God tells her to, you know, prove her, prove her love by sacrificing her only son. Um, so she tries to do so. And Isaac, um, escapes into the basement and ends up fighting her, um, in the end with his tears. Okay. Um, and the, the whole game was based on. The Legend of Zelda, in the same way that Meepo is based on Mario, um, The Binding of Isaac was a retelling, my retelling of The Legend of Zelda, and, you know, doing that in kind of an abstract way, like, you know, one night I'm playing Legend of Zelda, Tommy, I, and I think Tommy was still down, he was about ready to go on vacation. Because Tommy wasn't, just to put this on the table, Tommy wasn't the programmer of The Binding of Isaac. Unfortunately. Um, Quite literally, I'm playing. I wanted to do a, a game jam because I wanted to take a break, um, like and relax. And to me, making games is very relaxing, and being creative is very relaxing for me. And um, I actually get very stressed out when it comes to vacations. I have anxiety about that sort of stuff too. So Tommy took a vacation to relax, which turned out not to be true. And uh, I took a vacation to do a game jam game with um, a program that I worked with in the past. His name was Florian, um, and. Uh, we didn't know what we were going to do, and I was playing The Legend of Zelda and the, the original, and I noticed that the structure of the dungeons could very easily be turned into a roguelike formula. Like, it just seemed to all fit into place really, really easily. Explain and then, to me what that means, roguelike formula. So, the ro- ro- uh, basically, usually roguelikes are randomly generated RPGs, um, okay. usually turn- turn-based um, where your character is kind of going around and fighting randomly generated monsters, randomly generated loot, um, and leveling up, getting more powerful, and traveling downward in, in, into a dungeon until you fight, like, Mega Boss or whatever. And some of them actually have you leave after that, too. But it's, 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 fo- it's, a, it's a focus on, like, random level generation, random enemy generation, random item generation, that sort of stuff too. Everything different, so every time time you play, it's completely new, completely fresh experience. Mm -hmm. And I could see that the the level, the way the levels were kind of mapped out in in Zelda for the dungeons could be randomized. And then I thought, you know, well, I could, you know, every, every, every level, every dungeon in Zelda has, like, one power-up item and one boss, and the boss usually gives you, like, a container heart, so I could take that formula as well, randomize that, and then I thought, okay, I could turn it into a shooter because I didn't want to do a literal, you know, what, you know, melee combat sort of deal. I thought a shooter would be fun to do and give me more variables to play with when it came to items and, and that sort of stuff. And then, um, and then I just kind of built on it from there. And uh, the basic theme came from... Originally, the game was called Lovesick, and oh. um, it was um, it was it didn't it wasn't biblical yet. I didn't 
put the two together, but it was based on, like, uh, Miyamoto always said that Legend of Zelda was based on him, like, taking adventures as a kid and turning over rocks and kind of exploring forests and kind of the mysteries of the unknown. And that always, you know, felt... I, I could... It felt like my story in a lot of ways, and I wanted to kind of t- retell it in in my way, but kind of more like the the darker, dangerous side of of being a creative kid that goes and explores by himself. The loneliness, like the kind of sadness and isolation um, that would go along with um, a kid who would enjoy doing that sort of stuff by himself and taking adventures by himself and stuff like that. So that's what I originally how it originally started, and um, I was trying to figure out a name for the game because I didn't like Lovesick. And uh, I was searching online for... I wanted to find something that looked like The Legend of Zelda, like something of something. And um, I don't know how I came across it. I think I started looking up religious stuff because, you know, in my, my childhood growing up, I had a lot of religion, like a lot of dogma coming from all angles. And... Um, and I grew up Catholic, and then my dad was born-again Christian. So there's a lot of, like, hardcore, you know, you play D&D, you're going to hell sort, uh. of, sort of stuff growing up. So I started touching on that and searching religious stuff, and I just saw the title, The Binding of Isaac, and I thought, oh, that's a really cool title. It sounds like The Legend of Zelda. And then I started looking more into it and thinking, like, how perfect it would fit into this existing story that I already had going. And... And then it just kind of molded together and all the religious stuff just poured in. And it's just usually when I'm designing something, I'm designing on the fly and I'm letting every, all the doors are left open. And I just, whatever walks through, I take if it works. And I don't usually question it that much. And it just kind of became an improvisational design. Um, And I just went from there. I didn't really think much about it. And we developed it over the course of like three and a half months and just released it as it was. And that's basically it. There's a lot of excitement about the upcoming expansion on May 28th called The Wrath of the Lamb, especially on the wiki. And for $3, you get six new rooms, is it ten bosses, trinkets, and an extra ending. And now for someone like me who thinks that the Weeping Angels from Doctor Who are the scariest thing ever, and I hear that there's a Weeping Angels sound and who also hates spiders. This kind of disturbs me. Can you tell us more what we might be looking forward to in the expansion? Um, The expansion is quite literally just more of everything. Um, I I wanted to add more mystery, more items, more everything, more discovery. Um, It has a a deeper focus on just more depth, um, more, just more of everything, really. And and it it does, the ending um, touches on an aspect of the story that hasn't been explored that I've seen that, that I always had had been thinking about when making the game um, that might change people's perspectives on exactly what is going on in the game. Um, But in, in, you know, it's also semi vague, so it won't, it won't definitely, you know, solidify a lot of theories, but um, yeah, it's just, it's an expansion. It's a shitload of the same stuff. Um, it's the closest thing to fanfare I've ever come when it comes to people really wanting more and me giving more. I usually don't do this, but um, I, I kind of wanted to do this for Danielle because she um, had 100% of the game, and I and I really enjoyed watching her play it. It was it was pretty um, 
I was I was definitely riding off of her enjoyment of the game and, and Tommy's as well. Tommy was actually living with me when we were finishing up and watching them both play kind of made me really want to do more and more and more um, because it's it's very fun to watch Let's Plays and watch Danielle play and Tommy play and, 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 and kind of see them discover things and want to add more um, to it. But this is it, though. I'm fucking done. I'm, <laughs> I'm really sick of Isaac right now, and I really want to work on uh, Meat Boy, uh, and I'd like to throw myself in. I started working on Meat Boy a lot. Um, I just, there was like kind of like a windfall of, of ideas and inspiration for like the look and feel of the game, and then suddenly I'm like, oh my god, I have to fucking finish this Isaac expansion. And, uh, I, and I just want it to be done so I can work more on Meat Boy, because I can't have a very hard time they're just two different sides of my brain or something right now. And I, I can't, it's one or the other. So I need to finish this completely. And so I can work full time on, on Meat Boy. Um, and, uh, that's basically what I've been doing for the past couple months. Okay. Well, I have some questions from the chat room on the DLC and you can answer what you feel is appropriate. Uh, Krista wants to know, will the DLC update the soundtrack as well for the game? Um, you know what? I don't know. That's really up to Danny. Um, the the way we do business with Danny is we want to make sure that he can keep his his music and he gets all the money for his music. Um, so if he wants to add that to if you own the you know the soundtrack, I, I don't know. I haven't actually talked to him about it in depth yet, so I'm not 100% certain. But it's really up to him. If he wants to add it, he can just pop it in. Um, but there there are quite a few new tracks and. Um, you heard one of them in the trailer, and I like that one a lot. And uh, there's quite a few more. And he uh, uh, he was just IMing me earlier, saying he wants to do a new, another music track for the library, which is a new room, nice. a new hidden room in the game. So there'll probably be a couple of few tracks. All right. Another question is: Isaac entering the chest a form of self-sacrifice? Um, you could say it is. The the chest stuff will be. There will be answers in the ending for the okay, chest. Okay, so people will know. There, yeah, there's like a... Yeah, yeah you'll see. Okay. Um, let's see. Will Shoop de Whoop get better? No. <laughs> it's pretty fucking good by itself. It's good enough. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, and this one's for Tommy. If Tommy, if you were to program Isaac, what would you do differently? <laughs> it, w it wouldn't have been in Flash. <laughs> okay. That's that about it. Yeah, that that would make like a big difference, but that's that's pretty much it. I don't know. I think the game probably would have been a little different if Ed and I would have done it because we it probably yeah, it probably would have been different, and it probably would have been larger. I would think. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it would have ballooned into a much bigger project. It, we probably would have been releasing now, like yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, I mean, of course, it obviously would have been. And this isn't a slight to Florian, but you know, it, Florian only programs in Flash, and I didn't, I didn't jump into Isaac development thinking that I was going to release this game um, for, for any on Steam. Like it was, I was one hundred percent certain that it wasn't going to be released on Steam. I didn't think they would want it, uh, but they really wanted it, so I released it on Steam, and everybody told me you should, you know, definitely charge for it. It was just one of those things. Like I was quite literally going to sell this game to Adult Swim or whoever wanted it for like 30 or 40 grand. I was going to sell the IP. It was just going to be like a little quick like little quick game. I just ha I had no idea that many people would actually like it. Um, 
but yeah, if, if turn back the hands of time and Tommy programmed it, it would be it would have gamepad support. It would be very efficient. It would run really smoothly, and it would probably be a much bigger game. Um, but and don't think that I didn't many times ask him <laughs> if he wanted to take over and program it. But um, he was a very giving person, and he wanted to make sure that Florian got his chance. So. Also, I didn't want to program in Flash because I don't like I don't like doing that. That was the main <laughs> thing. I, I don't care about Florian. Yeah, but the offer Aww. was to redo it completely. Yeah, I didn't want to do that either. It wasn't so much because of Florian, because I eh, I don't want to be a porter. I, I was I was a porter. I don't want to be a porter anymore. I'll I'll support you, but I won't port you. <laughs> okay. Tommy Tommy did actually help a lot with the game. He likes to downplay it, but he was he was he was sitting. See, like, see, this is where Tommy would be, where R two D two is. Where R two D two is, yeah. Yeah, that's where Tommy usually was around that time when I was working on Isaac, and he was playtesting it. He was giving a tons of feedback on how to actually raise the performance. So one of the reasons why it runs at all is because of of Tommy fi- figuring out a lot of different things that needed to be improved. He did help a great deal with with um, development, but he likes to. Well, I guess because he's not getting a percentage, so he's like. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. Think <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> I love. I love the game. I think it's a great game, and I totally do wish I would have made it. But who's just asking? Uh, will achievements be on the Mac platform? Uh, will they get fixed? The achievements that are on the Mac platform right now. I don't For know. the poor Mac people who never get any love, I used to be one until I, I defaulted to the PC and I crossed to the other side. I have. I have no idea. Right now, I'm trying to just get. Uh, PC achievements to work with the expansion, so I'm going to worry about that much later. <laughs> I wrote the achievement thing. I wrote the achievement thing so it could have achievements, but for some reason, I don't know, it just never... Um, I, I don't know how to hook it into the weird like wrapper that they use for... Because they use Zen to wrap it in Flash, or wrap Flash around it so it can be inexecutable. And for some reason, it just wouldn't work. Like, I could... I could do it with like my own stuff. I could actually make it award achievements on the Mac, but I don't know. There's something weird I think about. Something, I, think. I think it had to do with. I don't know. I have no. I, idea. It had to do something with folder structure, but honestly, I don't know enough about it about it to fix it. And Florian didn't know enough about it to fix it. So yeah, yeah I don't, there there, no. there are a few people. There are a few people in the Steam forums who've actually come up with a few solutions. There's one guy who claims that he can actually fix our performance issues completely. Mm. Uh, and I do have this person's information, and I will be talking to them before release um, and even after release if I can't get it fixed He's in time. probably going to say port it to AS3 and use hardware acceleration. No, but he's cl- he, claims, he claims that he ripped the SWF out and was uh-huh. able to put it through something else in order to make it run faster. So if that's if that has any truth, um, I, I would love to be able to make it run really good for everybody. Um, um, I'm even fucking talking to Adobe at this point to try to see if I can get it done. But the thing is, is Florian works in AS2, and people are usually pretty surprised when I tell them that it's actually an AS2 game. But, um, but I had to work around... stuff with AS2. Like, he's yeah. pushed AS2 to some pretty hardcore limits, for sure. Yeah, he definitely has. Like, all I care about right now is making sure the game comes out on the 28th. And uh, there have been... The F- the FLAs are so huge, 
without sound um, that we've had a few corrupt files like and it's getting we're pushing it we're pushing it here and and we still have to re-add all the sound and then all the new music and then hope to god when we click publish it actually publishes <laughs> but um yeah so i'm gonna worry about all that right now and um okay. and uh Will there be any more promotion? I know with Super Meat Boy, you did a comic to kind of help promote that. Will you have something for this as well, or anything we can look forward to in that way? Um, there's always going to be there's always going to be stuff on the on the site. Like Daniel's, I'm thinking to work on some more like plush stuff for Isaac, and like we have toys on the in the store. Um, we have like a bunch of Meat Boy stuff and a bunch of Isaac stuff, and the retail edition for the UK for Isaac is actually going to be going up soon in the store as well. Um, but um, I haven't really, like, again, like Isaac. I realize everybody, you know, a lot of people like Isaac and everything, but Isaac was a very small game for me, and um, I want to move on, guys. Like, I, I, <laughs> I gave you what you asked for. Stop asking for more. <laughs> Done. Like. Any Please. previews on what you might do after this? People are saying, well, make one based on Metroid. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Um, Actually, yeah. We, we've talked about this. Like, we've... Yeah. We, there, there, there is a... you could, I guess you could call it a design doc for a Team Meat game based around a Metroid formula, of course. Um, it's, a, it's a doodle. It's a, <laughs> a design yeah. doodle. It's, yeah. just, it, it's just a girl um, shooting something. No, uh... <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of different things, but Tommy and I, I, I believe we're pretty positive of what we're going to do after Meat Boy, and it's going to be a very big project, it's going to be a big challenge, it's very exciting, it's going to be a challenge art-wise for me, I'm going to really push myself to do something really, really, really detailed, and I hope to fucking God people say, I just want to hear somebody say, that Team Meat game, the graphics look really cool, because I've never heard anybody say that about anything I've done, so... Um, that's that's my new that's my new goal. That's your goal. Chat room says yeah. Meat Boy Two Electric Boogaloo. They want to see that. Oh well, good. That's good. <laughs> that was a good thing that they said. <laughs> All right. Well, we are getting toward the end. Is there anything you'd like to share before we close up here? Anything you'd like to share? Nobody has questions for Tommy. I get all the fucking lame Isaac questions. Yeah, there's a question about if he's going to be working on another engine. Let me find. That. I am. You are. So That's actually why I muted my microphone, which was my list of this week. There's actually two projects on here. This one's top secret. This one's, this one's all engine stuff. Uh, that one's bottom secret. This one's bottom <laughs> secret. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I... Like, our, our Super Meat Boy, the game, and our next games and everything, they're all uh, vector graphics. So that's what I've been doing the past couple of months is making making so uh, we can have pretty insane amounts of vector graphics on the screen and it scales to any resolution and looks awesome and runs crazy fast. So that's kind of what I do now, but yeah. That's new. That's new. It's actually crazy because uh, the editor for Meat Boy was like 6,800 lines long and the editor for Super Meat Boy the game, which is the same thing, but I rewrote it, is uh, 2,000 lines long, and it does, like, twice as much. So I've leveled oh. up. So that's the whole thing. This whole new engine Ding. is just redoing everything. Because that's what I do. I redo everything. Because I get, I get irritated when, like, well, especially with Meat Boy, you get to the end 
you were when you start, but you have to finish it anyway. You just can't rewrite any, any everything. So as soon as I got done with the editor, like the public editor for Meat Boy, uh, I started ripping stuff out and rewriting stuff and refactoring stuff, and generally making everything more stable and more everything. This is this is my opus, like Mr. Holland. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Okay, for those who couldn't make it tonight, this recording will be saved on Twitch and available for viewing. So if you didn't get to see the whole thing, you can come back and watch it later. And uh, please subscribe as well. And a big thank you to Edmund and Tommy. And you can find them at Super Meat Boy on Twitter or edmundm.com. And Tommy, do you have a site you'd like them to go to as well? No. no. I have a don't Twitter, go- but I don't care. Yeah, don't, don't go to edmundm.com because then people just like go there and they'll be like, where, where, I want to order the CD. And then I'll say, oh, man, I haven't updated my site since 2008. Uh, is there a better one? <laughs> no. No? I, okay. <laughs> yeah. Go, go, to, go to Danielle's Etsy shop and buy yeah, some stuffed animals. Yeah, go there. Animals. Actually do that, yeah. Or go buy some cups, some Super Meat Boy cups, because uh, uh, my parents make those. So. Well, yeah, just, make just some go to SuperMeatBoy.com, <laughs> and then you'll be able to find all these things. Yeah, yeah. That's, yes. that's where you should go. Super Meat Boy Twitter, Super Meat Boy.com. Leave us personally alone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I like people, people are like, when are you going to, are you going to add, you know, this, this, and this to Isaac? It's like, dude, I don't even have a fucking website for that game. Like, it doesn't even have a website. <laughs> Just play the game. Play the game as it is and, and, and enjoy it for what it is. It's, expansion's $3, the game's $5, and, that's right. you know. Less but, uh, than it would cost you to host a website. So let me uh, let me work on something else, please. If you'd like to leave some feedback or keep up, keep up with the news, you can find me on Twitter at Gray Area Podcast, at Facebook slash Gray Area Podcast, and I urge you to subscribe on the Twitch channel if you enjoy this, or you can find me on iTunes as well. If you have any gray areas in your relationships or just need a new perspective, email your questions, advice, or suggestions to genesegray at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week with a new episode. Please subscribe.